0: Today, I talk about my bosses, whether good or bad, you'll find out.
1: And I am going to talk about a political maneuver that jumped from the silver screen to real life.
0: Hello and welcome to The Banterman. Today's episode is called Bosses. Our podcast is completely COVID-19 free. We hope you can listen to this to get away from the stress and worry of what's around us for a little while. We are Naveen and Rishi, just two guys talking about things that interest us mostly to amuse one another and occasionally to learn something. These are freewheeling conversations about
1: things that interest and fascinate us. One of us talks about a hobby or interest and the other takes more of a curious person role. We take turns being Socrates and Plato if you want to be highfalutin about it. So here we go. All right, everyone. Welcome to a fresh new episode of the Bantaman. And uh, Naveen, whatever possessed you that you want to talk about bosses of all things?
0: <laughs> well, um, I've had the uh, amazing good fortune that in all the nineteen years that I've worked, um, I've had some absolutely uh, brilliant experiences with bosses. Okay. Um, it, it's a common cliche that you know bosses are really horrible and mean and it, you just say negative things about them, yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, but strangely enough, my 19 years stint working for uh, companies uh, in different contexts have actually uh, put me in touch with some amazing bosses. Um, in fact, in you know, all that time, I I can count clearly that there were just two uh, periods when I did not have a good boss, ah, but. Okay. Uh, uh, so that's what I wanted to talk about uh, this time and I wanted to actually call this Amazing Bosses because Right. I'm okay. going to talk about two specific uh, people and uh, from whom I learned a whole bunch of things that actually have helped me both at work and in life.
1: Oh uh-huh. uh, yeah okay sounds really good for a second there, I was worried you wanted to talk about the not so amazing people. <laughs> That,
0: yeah, we have enough of that content around. So that, uh, let's switch true. it around a little so bit. That's true.
1: All right. So so let's let's set some context um, first. So when you say boss, I mean obviously there's a bunch of buzzwords doing the rounds. Um, people nowadays split hairs between manager versus leader, and then you know um, split hairs about whether somebody is your boss because they are direct manager or you know we mostly in the corporate world everyone is in a matrix organization so you've got multiple bosses around mm-hmm. and, and yep. so on so um what what kind of boss are you talking about today really?
0: um, both bosses that i'm talking about are people i directly reported to right and uh, who i've worked directly with okay. on an everyday basis
1: right so so they were your um direct managers Were they co-located with you or were they in another country? Direct managers
0: and we all worked out of the same office in both cases. Okay. Okay. So uh, we were co-located, which essentially meant that we had to kind of see each other every single day and, you know, work together.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's, let's jump into your first amazing boss experience. So set the stage. Where, Where are you? When are you? Who are you?
0: Okay, so this is way back in uh, 2003. And I was in Chennai. Okay. And uh, I was working for this company called Contact Singapore. Mm. This was a government of Singapore organization, part of the Ministry of Manpower. Oh, okay. And uh, I was working in the Chennai office. And my boss then was uh, this gentleman called Buddy. Okay. He's currently an actor in Singapore. He's a very well known person. And uh, I had the good fortune of working with him for about a year before okay. he had to go back. This was also very early in my career. Mm. So this was actually the first time I was working in a formal uh, office setup. Right. So everything I had to learn from scratch. I was quite lucky to have a buddy who was not uh, shy about teaching me a lesson or two. <laughs> oh, nice.
1: Very cool. And and this is this is not quite the pre-computer era. I mean, this is two thousand three, so it's probably a computerized office. What, yep, yep, yep. what
0: what kind of work did the company typically do? Uh, okay, yeah. Good that you asked me. Um, so, essentially, our work here involved uh, going around the country mm. and representing uh, Singapore as a place to uh, study and ah, work. Okay. Right. So, we used to engage with uh, the institutes of higher learning in India, like the IITs and IAMs. Mm. Uh, we used to uh, also work with a lot of industry organizations like uh, NASCOM. Right. Um, and we also, since we were a part of the government of Singapore, we also used to work with a lot of Indian government bodies, Right. um, as well as other government, uh, Singapore government bodies as well. Okay. So a uh, lot of traveling around, meeting people, um, making presentations, a whole bunch of uh, gathering information, writing reports on uh, how things are in India. Right. And,
1: right. and what was your role specifically? And I suppose did, was Wadi the one who hired you?
0: Yeah, but he was the one who hired me. He was like the director uh, for the um, whole operation in India. Right. And uh, I was like his uh, second in command. Okay. So um, while uh, he would essentially bring the plans from Singapore, what we decided to do globally. Right. um, Together we would then execute it here.
1: Okay. And at this stage, uh, sort of the last question I have is, who were you at this stage? Like what was your background at that point? How did you <laughs> happen to come into the job?
0: Yeah. So this is, that's interesting because at that, like I told you, this is my first office job. Mm-hmm. Um, so till then um, I had been a researcher because I had uh, completed my master's in anthropology right, and i had done a few projects uh, with uh, one with the world health organization, the other with UNICEF um, and uh, third with uh, the world bank. Okay, um, so these were all uh, short-term projects mm, and mm. Uh, projects where there's a bunch of researchers would get together, design the methodology and go execute that. right. So none of this was like in a formal office setting. Uh, so this was uh, in 2003 was when I first joined uh, contact Singapore. Mm, um, mm. It was like uh, I think I was hired more on the strength from my communications as well as kind of operationalizing things experience. Right. So uh, that was me. I was absolutely raw, but I could run things. I mm, could get things mm, done. Mm. And uh, yeah, my communication skills obviously helped uh, land the job. Cool. Okay. Right. Uh, but yes, so like I told you, this is my first office job, which means that uh, extremely basic things were uh, um, set in place by this uh, experience. Right. Um uh, like like the most uh, basic things, right? Like uh, being fair. Hmm. Right? You've, you've been hired buy this company this time belongs to the company right so goofing off or doing other stuff during company time Mm. was not really uh not really an option this seems very strange to mention separately because you know we all go to work and we know this thing that yeah this time belongs to the company but remember i was not used to that kind of a thing at that point right? right right so very basic lessons from that right to uh you know, being mentally present while you are doing your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of work that we did, like I said, was quite detail oriented. Right. Like if we put together an event or if we were doing a presentation for some somebody, we needed to completely uh, be there for that. Right. So uh, there was this point where once we were, uh, we had to send a statement of some things to an accountant to get it uh, checked out. Okay. And uh, well, account- I wasn't an accountant. Accounts wasn't my thing. Right. Um, I would just get the uh, accounts person to uh, make the accounts. And it was just my job to ensure that it went to the accountant and they looked at it and gave whatever feedback and pass on the feedback to the accountant. Correct, yeah. Pretty straightforward, right? Um, So which meant that I, for me, it was, I I didn't even uh, think that I should take a look at what was being sent. I would just get the file, attach it, send it across. Now, this happened one month. And then the accountant got back saying, this is not the right file. This is, you sent me last month's file, right? And I was like, uh, I didn't. I hadn't even opened the file. It was just so. It was the accountant had made an error right. where they had just uh, switched the file names or whatever. Right. So that was kind of a time when I heard this. You need to be fully present, and it's not just your job is not just you repeating a bunch of actions. Mm. You need to be mentally present to do this thing. So uh, this is kind of uh, like I told you before. Buddy was quite fond of not shy of telling me <laughs> what to do, right? right? So that's when he very explicitly said, you know, you need to be mentally present. It's not like a physical job. It's not mm. like you're taking a file physically from one place and giving it to another person. It's a job to verify that the right thing goes out and the right thing comes back. Right. And to me, this was at that point like a huge revelation. Oh, yeah. I'd never worked in an organization before. I don't know how another, another boss would have uh, dealt with this. Mm-hmm. But I think he saw that uh, this was just because of my inexperience and not because of uh, you know any right. other deficiency Some, yeah. right
1: so so was he was he a strict person how did he how did he I mean clearly this requires a pulling up how oh. did he how did he pull you up do you remember
0: when you screw up you expect something angry to land on you oh yeah Right. Mm. so uh, this there wasn't any emotional content at this point it was basically saying look you should have caught this you didn't mm. catch it mm. Mm. You'd better catch it the next time. It is part of your job. You need to be mentally present while doing these things. Right. Uh, so, he also could get angry, mm. and uh, his whole thing was he would not get angry with you for making a mistake the first time. <laughs> okay. But he could get pretty annoyed with you if you repeated it a second time. God. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so as a person who was doing this for the first time and was not afraid to learn, mm. uh, this was brilliant. Right, Because I kind of made sure I never made a mistake the second time.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? I know what you mean. Um, mm.
0: uh, one of the other things that I kind of, uh, I really learned from him that I use to this day is that uh, he would, whenever giving somebody a project, right, mm. he would make it very clear. He said, listen, if you cannot do this, mm. tell me now. Oh, okay. Not a day before it is due or not the hour before it is due.
1: Gotcha.
0: Mm. right and so you give us uh, the context to escape so especially in india you have this uh, we are very wary about telling people no
1: oh yeah right mm. we would
0: probably say okay give it to me and then i'll through an email or uh, you know say no some other way but when it is too late for them to be able to do anything else about it yeah so yeah. Uh, yeah. this is something that he would be very explicit and this was not something that he uh, kind of said uh, just once and let it go. He would say it every single time. Mm. Right. And uh, uh it's something that I do right now, whether it's whether it's a carpenter doing a repair job or whether I'm talking to a business to set up a new contract. Right. It's uh it's very if we put it up front, we actually give the other person the opportunity to uh mm. say no or to bring up anything that is uh probably the thinking making them think yeah, about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So uh that's something which is uh pretty brilliant. Um it's uh, it actually also has a context in the work that we were doing, mm. um, where we had like we had a presentation to make, which came up all of a sudden and right. it was just a couple of days away. So we had an opt- option there: we could either build a presentation from scratch, or we could reuse one of the old ones. Mm. Building a presentation from scratch meant that uh, we may or may not get it ready by then. But then, if we are just redoing one of the ones that we already had, it would be very it would be quite. Uh, we had enough time to do all that we had to do. Right. And that is kind of where this thing came in. So uh, when Wadi says, okay, let's do this presentation. Naveen, I mean, why don't you do the presentation? Tell me now if you cannot do it. Mm. And I'm like, we cannot do a, pre- a fresh presentation may take too much time. So can we just take an old presentation, repurpose it? Mm. And I was like, okay, mm. fine, let's do that. So if he, had never, if he hadn't given me that option, probably wouldn't have thought about it at that point. Right. Right. Mm.
2: So that's something that
0: was uh, learned from experience as well. Right. And of course, the whole Singaporean obsession with the triple checking <laughs> and then triple checking and then triple checking again. This yeah. was this was pretty uh, drilled into me. Right. right. And mm. uh, the more important part of that is not to be ashamed of doing it. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm. Because we are like, uh, if you go to somebody and say, have you done this? Uh, can you show me if it is done? Uh, we A lot of us would actually even uh, not ask the person to show us their work, right? Like mm. you, you go to a guy who you've given your clothes to be ironed and a guy gives it back to you in a bag. Right. A lot of the time you don't even want to open it and check it.
1: Right. Yeah. You're in a uh, hurry right? or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But you, the Singaporean
0: part would be to actually get him to open it up and show you that he's ironed every single thing. Mm. And if there is something that's flipped over or wrong, can you fix it? Right? And make sure that everything is done before you bring it back home and discover right. something else. And that's the kind of uh, triple checking. So we we actually got a part of the office redone at that point. Hmm. And it was quite interesting because uh, the Chennai way of doing things is literally, <laughs> it's slapdash. You come, he just wants to get away. right? But no, it has to be perfect. Everything has to be straight. You can't have a little bit of paint overlapping on the other side. You mm-hmm. need to have it exactly in the line it's supposed to be. So. I, I had a good practice putting it, uh, I mean, practicing this um, trait as well. Right. Um, mm. Especially since we also used to run a lot of events. We used to do this triple checking all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: No, and, and yeah, as I can say, as somebody who recently was at a big organizational event, just the number of things that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. Even if you triple check and then triple check, as you say, everything that you could think of, There'll still be some outlier, the
0: unknown unknown that, you know, you completely (laughs) miss and have to make up for. Yeah, Uh, which is where the last bit I want to talk about comes in, hmm. which essentially is the power of rehearsal. Right. So we used to do innumerable events, right? We used to do events where um, we hosted people. We used to do uh, events where we hosted dignitaries. And since we were one of the few Singapore government organizations in India, Hmm. Whenever anyone from Singapore used to come over from the president down, uh, we used to host events for them. Oh, right. Uh, That is quite fantastic. But uh, the Wadi Touch was with the whole uh, rehearsal bit. So I'd like to call it the power of rehearsal. Mm. Essentially, um, we used to rehearse everything about a dozen times. Wow. Uh, And when I say everything, I mean um, the event itself. So Mm. we used to have Mm. like a minute by minute breakdown of how the event would run. Right. And this would be done in uh, well in advance. Right, right, right. But when the when we had the venue available either on the day of the event or like a few days before the event we would go there and start rehearsing as in we would walk step by step through the whole thing minute by minute mm. and time the whole thing. Right. Right. So which means that uh, literally if if I was emceeing which I usually ended up doing I would say okay now I request this person to come up and uh, give us the welcome address. Right. We would actually have somebody sitting there and walk up to the place and we would make a note. Okay, so it takes 12 seconds.
1: Right. <laughs> it was... Wait, hang on. You're, you're talking about hosting some very senior people. Uh, did you adjust for age and physical ability? Yep, absolutely. Because yep. You yep. did? Yep. Oh, did. wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. half kidding there. I I, I was <laughs> trying to get a laugh line, but you actually walked like the Egyptian if you were hosting an Egyptian.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Because we do not realize some people are, uh, they were just like, sprint up to the stage whereas others would take their time right um so and we knew a lot of these people we knew or if we did not we would talk to people who knew them or who had hosted them before right, right. we made sure that you know the line of sight to the stage was clear all oh, of this wow. stuff it was nice it, it was like the attention to detail was incredible right and uh, it has been drilled into me so today regardless of what i do right like mm. um it kind of if I can rehearse it, I rehearse it. Right. Obviously, we don't do that for the podcast, but uh,
1: yeah. The, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there's there's things that call for spontaneity and there's things that
0: need rehearsal. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if anything can be rehearsed, we would rehearse it. Right,
1: <laughs> right. No, and uh, you know, even for the podcast, I can say by way of testimonial, the number of times we test the setup before we start speaking. Mm.
0: Yep. Okay. So that's, that's a bunch of stuff that I learned from Vadi. So Vadi, uh, if you're out there and you're listening, uh, thank you for all of those.
1: Brilliant. All right. What's uh, in Naveen? We take a quick break and then come back and talk about your other amazing post. Sure thing. Uh, welcome back from the break um, Naveen is talking about some amazing bosses that he's had uh, the privilege of working with so Naveen uh, before we get on to your next amazing boss uh, tell us where are you when are you what's the context what's your role who are you
0: alright so the next person I'm going to talk about is actually my last boss before I uh, quit and became my own boss okay um, this was I was working in Google and uh, this, we were part of um, a very operations focused team. Mm. So my boss was leading the overall uh, operation. Right. And I was heading a critical uh, part of it. Right. So I was reporting directly to him. We used to work together every day. Uh, his name was Pankaj. And uh, there are a bunch of lessons that I've learned from working with him. Okay. So the way we're going to do this is I'm going to tell you about uh, two anecdotes. Yeah. Uh, that happened. And yep. then uh, we'll see what are the lessons I got from that. Okay. Right. Um, so the first thing is, uh, is this should be familiar to anybody who's uh, working in a corporate job is, uh, that we got a new director right. and uh, this person, I mean, wanting to make a change, uh, had this project for Pankaj as an operations team. We had a bunch of contracts with vendor companies Yeah. now, uh, this was global and they were about 60 or 70 contracts our director wanted all of them to be aligned with each other okay which kind of made perfect sense when you look at it from a common sense perspective because <laughs> all the vendors were delivering pretty much the same thing to us
1: right and so so these are when you say contracts this is basically terms and conditions and sort of
0: yep so, clauses yeah, yeah basically clauses Legalese. yeah Basic legal stuff right yeah. um so pankaj had the uh, um he had the project and i was uh, kind of helping him out with that so literally they were like all of these contracts and each of these contracts would be anywhere between 30 and 60 pages. Ooh. And uh, we uh, went through all of them and uh, kind of broke them down into different uh, components. And uh, we were kind of trying to see which was common and which wasn't. Right. So there was a lot of variance, obviously. Right. And we wanted that, to put this together.
1: That sounds like really tedious work, actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's It could be tedious work, but I actually find... Uh, reading contracts, fun. I oh. actually read terms and conditions before I click yes. Uh, uh, are you are you the one
1: guy that has read the ULA for every software he's bought? Oh God, I should have done.
0: <laughs> yeah. So not only can I read contracts, I can read two contracts back to back and tell you what the differences are as well. So next time you're buying something and you're signing a contract, let me know. I'll be happy to help you. Yeah, you're you're, you're going to get a call. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so we did all of this work. It took it took us about a month just to do that, uh, basically sort all of this thing out. And then uh, there was a bunch of uh, Pankaj's peers who kind of formed a task force to see how we could align all of this. Hmm. Then we spent a further uh, about three, three and a half months uh, debating on how we could align all of this. And uh, finally, we had a few recommendations. All of that were put together. Right. Um, it was time to take it to the big boss, who was right. my uh, boss's boss's boss. And... Uh, when we took it there, um, the meeting was just. It was a really short meeting because the okay. question was, "Why do we even need this?" Um, so oh. here, <laughs> so here we had we, we had spent months on this uh, piece of work, right. right? And we take it in, and it was shot down in like fifteen minutes. So um, it was kind of. Uh, it was very educative. That's one way to look at it. Okay. <laughs> right, so that was one uh, anecdote. Okay. Um, another one that I want to share is uh, we had this hackathon, which was like a, right. a global thing where people could come up with ideas on how to make things better. Mm. Um, mm. Either for therefore, uh, people working in the company or for our users. They, and, they've uh, they've
1: become quite the rage these days i mean i i think every organization uh invests big time in innovation and you know the way they do it is yep. hackathons
0: yep and uh, this one was very cool because this was like the year i was running it it was like the fourth year running okay uh, it had very senior uh, backing and uh, we had a good track record of actually getting uh, ideas implemented from the right. hackathon oh okay so i got the opportunity to uh, be part of the core team that runs it I uh, led all the activities for the APAC region. Right. And then um, we ran the global event in LA. Okay. Um, so a bunch of us spent uh, about a week and a half there running the whole thing. Now and, this, and
1: you traveled over from Hyderabad because, uh, yeah, yeah, you were based in Hyderabad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was
0: based in Hyderabad. So that was, it was, uh, it was really exciting, right? This oh. whole thing took about uh, five months start to end. Right. Uh, it involved a lot of coordination with the... Uh, a whole bunch of people across APAC, mm-hmm. uh, working with senior leaders in different organizations, to uh, run their preliminary uh, rounds. Right, and then uh, when the finalists uh, came to LA, I had the amazing opportunity to work with all of them to help them polish their uh, presentations Ooh, before nice. they took it uh, up to the senior vice presidents. So uh, it was brilliant. I mean, the 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 coordination was brilliant. I made so many friends. I. Uh, um, it was really impactful what I was uh, doing, mm. and um, I would like to think for every team I actually made a material contribution to uh, how well polished their presentations were. All of this, right? And then, um, so this typically over a period of uh, five months, it took away about ten to fifteen percent of my time. Right. And then at the end, when we were running the uh, final, um, uh, the final uh, contest in LA, it. Took me away from work physically for about uh, two weeks. Right mm. now, this so which meant that this was quite a big uh, commitment, uh, not just on my part but also on Pankaj's part. Mm. Right. Um, so this thing um, it went really well. It was really successful. Uh, we all got awards for what we did and all of that. Uh, but at no point uh, was any of this aligned with uh, any of the goals that we had, that Pankaj had, or that I had with Pankaj on the team.
1: Oh, so, okay. So this wasn't actually part of your core
0: responsibility. This was an, and also. Yes, it was, it it sat on top of my core responsibility. Uh, So even though uh, it was great from uh, the perspective of uh, what impact we made. Oh, in fact, uh, let me tell you another part of it. Hmm. So the ideas that were implemented and a couple of those had a material impact on the jobs that we were doing on our core goals. Okay. Right. Okay. So, in spite of all of that, none of this would uh, would actually impact any of the goals that I had, right, or which mm. Pankaj had as well, right. Um, now these are these are two anecdotes that I wanted to share. Yeah. And uh, from these, there are a couple of lessons that uh, <laughs> we learned. So Pankaj used to say very uh, explicitly that he was always aligned to his boss. Hmm. The first anecdote was a perfect illustration of this. He did what his boss wanted done, regardless of the effort required and regardless of the overall impact it ultimately had. That was a very valuable lesson for me. What you do on an everyday basis, right. make sure it's aligned to what your boss is trying to achieve.
2: Mm. Right? And mm-hmm. he would always
0: say this in the perspective that he is doing that with his boss. right? And he would stop with that. We would take away the lesson that you know we had to then align <laughs> our activities to what he was interested in. Right, right. And it seems commonsensical right now if you talk about it. Mm. But in your everyday uh, job, just just count and see the things that you're doing and how much of it actually aligns to your boss's goals.
1: It's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I must admit I've had experiences where I've done something that wasn't aligned uh, to my boss and only found out. You know, at the end of the year, wait, that doesn't count. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. Shouldn't have spent like six months on it. Um, but the the other thing is, I'd say you know, you're you're taking away a very positive lesson from this that you know, essentially, to use the uh, boating or rowing metaphor, we should all be rowing in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yep. know, don't don't go against the rest of the organization. <laughs> yeah, effectively, absolutely, we should um, all be
0: rowing. You can't have one guy rowing and one guy cycling. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, but. Usually people kind
1: of come at it very negatively. They come at it from the direction of, oh, that means my freedom at work is restricted, et cetera. But actually, you know, unless in in an organization where you're a cog in the machine, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm. Um, The other thing uh, which for me was a huge takeaway from these is uh, um, it's kind of the power of trust. Mm. So like I said, for the... um, Period of the hackathon, yeah, I was essentially unavailable for a significant chunk of time, right, yeah, um, mm. and I was running quite critical things for Pankaj as well, right, right. So they, he had that implicit trust mm. that I would not let those things drop,
2: right, right. Mm.
0: Which meant that uh, he was not breathing down my neck. He was not at any point sitting down and asking for a bunch of updates on how these things are going. Right. We had our own cadence of catching up. We had our weekly reviews in which we used to do all of that. Right. But outside of that, there was no bother. Mm. It wasn't like you're always checking up on what is happening.
1: Oh, yeah. And mm, that, I see
0: what you mean. And giving and that, so that can only come from a place of trust. Yeah. If if I've told you, I'll get this thing ready by this date and in the uh, interim, we'll have two updates.
2: Right. 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 Mm.
0: Uh, it takes a lot of trust for you to just depend on those two updates and not do anything else right True. especially True. to somebody who's directly reporting to you 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 walk past every day you have lunch half the time with me and but we don't talk about this right because you trust me to do my job and that that was core to the whole thing mm-hmm. right you trust me as a professional you trust me as your report
1: I mean, one, one thing I'll add there maybe is, you know, having been a manager myself and right. having managed other managers, mm-hmm. um, that trust has to be earned. Yep. Uh, you know, so uh, I, I think in any manager and team member kind of a relationship, you, you spend those initial days sort of arriving at that balance of how much monitoring do you need? How much monitoring are you comfortable with? And then once that balance is struck, it sort of—that's uh, when the trust comes in. Otherwise, you know, initial days, I'm sure it's. Uh,
0: uh, oh, absolutely! I think the trust—and it goes both ways, right? I mean, it's—it's uh, it's enough. The report has to trust the manager, and the manager has to trust the report as well. Right. True. So it is mutual, and uh, without one, the other does not exist. Mm. So that's definitely there. That's definitely part of the equation as well. Nice. Right. So these are things I kind of uh, took away from uh, working with Pankaj. Right. And um, both and these things, right? And all of these kind of add up, right? What we spoke earlier about, what I learned from Wadi as well as uh, what I learned from uh, Pankaj. Mm. They kind of shaped and molded a lot of uh, how I am today right? Um, as a person, as well as how I was uh, when I had my own team reporting to me. Right. right? Um, a lot of my... Uh, practices then were kind of uh, an outcome of the things that I had got from my bosses as well.
1: Okay, okay, brilliant. So how about we take a break at this point for a quick diversion and then uh, come back and uh, sort of do the thesis because it sounds like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll both have a perspective on sort of the lessons that you've talked about.
0: Sure thing, sounds good.
1: Okay, here we go.
0: Okay, Rishi, what diversion do you have for us today?
1: Okay, I have uh, something that would be a perfect counter argument uh, to anybody that says, Oh, you spend too much time binging on TV. (laughs) right?" Um, So uh, one of the series uh, that I dearly love that I've watched multiple times, all seven seasons of it end to end um, is The West Wing, which was a series... Uh, famously by Aaron Sorkin, the showrunner um, and the writer. Uh, it's all about a very idealized sort of uh, democratic president of the United States. Um, the West Wing in the title refers to the White House and its West Wing, which is the office uh, building part of the uh, place. So... Um, you know, the West Wing has been quite a education for a number of people in how American politics and politics in general works. Uh, doesn't matter if you're a liberal or a conservative, you, you kind of, there are lessons you can take away from the series. Except, um, for one specific episode of the series, uh, somebody in another country, politicians in another country really took it to heart. So uh, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, This is uh, an episode late in the series. It's season six, episode 17. It's called A Good Day. It aired on the 2nd of March, 2005. And this episode is all about how, you know, the the Republican majority in uh, the American Congress is reluctant to take a vote on a particular bill because they don't want that bill to pass. But if they don't put it up for a vote, um, you know, they they look bad, essentially, and they know they're going to lose. So they don't put it up for a vote. They delay as far as they can. Mm -hmm. And then essentially the Democrats trick them by appearing disinterested in the bill and sort of this is near a holiday break. So pretending that everybody on the Democratic side has left Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. And then they actually spend the night hiding out in one of the offices in the Capitol building (laughs) so that when the vote gets called and the voting is in progress, then suddenly, Uh, you know, everybody everybody walks out and Uh, the the bill passes. (laughs) Um, So like I said, real life politicians in the UK took this to heart. And ironically, it wasn't the liberals, but the conservatives that took it to heart. So there was a particular bill, uh, you know, we we don't need to go into the detail, but there was a particular bill where... uh, uh, the vote was coming up, Labour was in power, so Tony Blair was the Prime Minister at this point. And the bill came up and essentially, uh, you know, as they said to the Guardian, inspired by the West Wing episode, uh, which had aired almost a year earlier, because I think right. this happened in sort of February of 2006, mm-hmm. um, a bunch of Conservative MPs hid in a uh, unoccupied office in the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> And once the vote was called, they all streamed out. And oh, bill, in this case, the bill was defeated because Labour didn't have the votes. Wow. They, they defeated it by one vote. Oh, wow. Right. Okay, so, that is that is just crazy. Yeah. So, so the <laughs> next time anyone tells you you spend too much time uh, watching TV, you can say, well, you know, that's what the British opposition did for some, in their view, certainly great results. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's brilliant. Alright, so welcome back everyone from the Diverge. And uh, Naveen, um, I'll just make an observation uh, to get this final segment going. Mm -hmm. It's uh, interesting to me that the two amazing bosses you've talked about today were effectively uh, your first ever boss in a corporate setting and your last ever boss in a corporate setting (laughs) nicely sort of, you know, bookending your uh, corporate career.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't Thought of that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: I mean, it's, you know, perspective. I suppose you're, you're too close uh, to the trees to see the forest. Absolutely. So um, now that you're your own boss mm-hmm. uh, and you've sort of left the corporate life behind, I suppose, um, you know, we, we went through some pretty uh, interesting telling sort of stories and lessons that you've learned from these two people. Right. What is the takeaway overall for you? What makes an amazing boss?
0: It really comes down to uh, very simple things. Mm. You have to earn the trust. Mm. right? And you cannot do this um, unless you're open and transparent. right? And you cannot be open and transparent only with your team. Mm. They have to see you doing it with your peers and with your boss. right? So you can't be open and transparent on one side and extremely opaque on another. So that is the uh, you need to lead by example there, right? Yeah, yeah. And the second thing is uh, make your expectations very clear and explicit, mm. right? Especially with your team. Yeah. When you come into work and uh, when you tell somebody to do something, mm. what do you expect them to do? It is different for different people, right? Right. And unless you make your expectations very clear, it's not going to be easy for your team to figure it out. Right. They're not going to read mm. your mind and figure it out, right? True. And don't, don't true. even, I, I would say, don't worry about repeating it. It takes a couple of tries before you get it.
1: No, to just insert a very unhelpful, probably cliche there. Assumptions make an ass of you and me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, I yeah. said, it's, a, it's a cliche, but it's so true. Sometimes repeating the most obvious things is the way to go.
0: Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And of course, um, when you are a boss, you take care of your people and they will take care of business. True. There's nothing more true than that. yeah. And uh, I remember we were chatting about this offline is uh, how basic these things are. Mm. And yet how often we come across people who don't follow this. True. yeah. Right? You just need to stick to the basics. And uh, as you were talking about the speed of execution and uh, things flying around and yeah. uh, changing so rapidly, we just seem to forget the basics. Indeed. So as long Indeed. as we keep the basics in place, I think uh, we are good.
1: Yeah, no. And it's interesting. I mean, you know, it's a story for another time, but uh, you talking about your amazing bosses uh, got me thinking about some of the great managers that I've had the pleasure of working with. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's exactly this, Um, you know, they had very highfalutin visions and goals and, you know, the entire team was pulling together, working towards meeting some big goal. Mm -hmm. But I remember one of the best bosses I ever had uh, would, when given a document that is just part of a wider task, you know, huh. one of 50 things that he's supposed to be doing right. in that given day, uh, would return it. Uh, he was old school, so he would return it with uh, a red commentary in the margins. Oh, nice. And, and he would actually <laughs> catch things like the margin on page one is half an inch, the margin on the second page is not take a look at that <laughs> Nice. Uh, so yeah um you know yeah focusing on the basics yep all right um it's been interesting uh thank you very much Naveen for sharing some of your stories yep. um and the lessons we learned from them so um you know as usual we'll uh, ask our listeners to please give us your feedback what did you think of today's episode and uh tell us about some of the amazing bosses you've had or if you think you're an amazing boss uh Refer this podcast to your whole team and let them talk about you.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Why don't you all tell us how great bosses you are?
1: <laughs> all right. Okay. And that's been The Bantaman. Thank you all for listening.
0: Thanks for listening. We are The Bantaman, Naveen and Rishi. Check out our website, bantaman.com for extras and photos from today's episode. They're available on your favorite platform, including Google, Apple or Stitcher podcasts.
1: Go ahead and subscribe if we've managed to intrigue you and please leave a rating and a review. Leave us your thoughts on anything we've discussed here today. We await your feedback and any questions you want us to answer. Ideas for future episodes are also welcome.